Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your initial deposit. Happy training camp eve, everybody. Football is very, very close to being a thing again. And I am absolutely, we are back. And I, for one, am extremely excited. I'm sure real Alex Barth right here is also extremely excited. And we are going to be out at training camp, Alex and I, uh, all week long. We're going to do podcasts all week long. We're going to discuss everything that we see out there at Gillette Stadium. Alex, uh, we talked about this, I think, last show, that this is sort of our favorite time of the year because we get to really get in there and watch the team practice and break things down and talk about position battles and do all these types of things. And then obviously once the regular season rules go into play later on in the preseason, we kind of get shut out at practice at that point and we're only there for attendance and maybe a period or two and, and then we have to leave. So this is our best look our best access to the team all year long. And maybe we look a little bit too much into training camp sometimes and some of the things that happen in training camp. But for the most part, uh, I am beyond excited to get back out there and see what this team has in store. So it's funny because we talked about this on the last show, right? That we both love training camp and the draft we said was kind of the only comparable thing on the calendar. And I'm thinking about it during the regular season, we're focused on 53 players. Training camp is 90 and then when you get to the draft, it's really 500, but realistically for us, it's probably close to 100, 150. Right. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just more players makes it more exciting. I don't, I don't know. I did my uh, 90 player preview was up this morning. It's up now on 98.5, the sports And that was exciting. So maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's just, Hey, there's more players. There's more football to be played, but yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. There, there was no better timing for that video of the Australian swim coach flipping out. That is, that is how. I will feel when I wake up tomorrow. I know that because that's how I feel every year when I wake up on the first day of training camp. Yeah, for those that full disclosure, I am not a morning person, right? I I hate getting up. I I hate getting up early. And training camp is usually practice tomorrow's at 9:45 a.m. That's at least when things sort of get started. And then real practice will begin around 10 after, you know, stretching and stuff like that. But we got to be there before 9.45 a.m. And the one time a year that I do not care about waking up early is to get out there right. to go to training camp. So that tells you how much I love it because I absolutely hate waking up. So to be able to say that and say that, that I am excited to get up at 8 a.m. to get out there for training camp, that tells you everything you need to know. But that's enough about how excited we are about training camp. Now we can actually talk a little bit about training camp here on our training camp eve special and today this morning we got to speak to patriots head coach bill belichick we also got to speak with david andrews devin mccourty and matthew slater some of the patriots vets getting in front of the media but i want to start uh, with coach belichick who did confirm that cole popovich he didn't mention cole popovich by name but he mentioned that carmen brasillo will be the offensive line coach and cole popovich is obviously not with the team right now we're going to get to a little bit of news about who else is not 
not with the team. But for the time being, I want to start with this quote from Bill. And I, I know, Alex, that you're going to uh, tell me that I'm putting on my tinfoil hat and, and looking too much into this quote. But you know well, where I'm going quote? with this. Is it the great quote? No, okay. So it's not his best quote of the day. You can tell the best quote of the day when we're done okay. with, with, with this part. But yeah. he was asked directly, I believe it was by Ian Steele, uh, what uh, about the quarterback competition? Is there or will there be an open competition at the quarterback position in training camp? And Belichick went on a pretty typical Belichick answer about how it's a new season. We're all trying to establish our level of play. We're all trying to, you know, build the team up and go out there and do uh, and get better every single day. And then he said at the very end of this statement, it's pretty much a clean slate. And I just want to take us back really quickly, and then you can tell me why I'm looking way too much into this quote, to April 29th, the the press conference that Bill Belichick gave right after the team selected Mac Jones with the first pick, uh, 15th overall in their first pick in the first round. He said, Cam's our quarterback, whatever position, whatever time, Jared or Mac are ready to challenge and compete, then we'll see how that goes. So we went from, on April 29th, Cam is our quarterback to now on July 27th, it's a clean slate. And maybe that's a little bit of a regression back to the mean for Belichick, who's typically a type of person that says everybody earns their keep, everybody earns their job and earns their role. But it's definitely a different tune from Cam's our quarterback. Yeah, so you mentioned the regression to the mean, and that's kind of where I'm at with this. You know, at the beginning of that quote, and I have it right here in front of me, every one of us has to go out and establish our level of performance, whatever our role and capacity is. And then later he says, including the players and all the coaches. That's Vin Belichick. He did that when Brady was here. You know, nobody's job is safe. Everybody has to compete for their job, yada, yada, yada. That was the company line. So it's certainly a departure from the, you know, fist on the table. Cam is our quarterback that we saw late last year and through the draft. The, the whole clean slate thing and everything, I think that's just Bill, that, that's just camp talk for Bill. I think I think if you would ask, hey, who is is there an open competition at running back? Is there an open competition at kicker? Is there an open competition wherever? I think he would have given the exact same answer. I it's it's not nothing because again, he was asked about quarterbacks and he didn't go all in for Cam like he has. But I hardly look at that as him saying. Yeah, right now, like I think some people are interpreting that as him saying it's 50-50 Mac Jones, Cam Newton. I'm not looking at it that way right now. I just think that was he's going back to the company line versus what he did last year. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it is he's going back to the company line versus we saw him kind of deter from the company line. I think quite a few times with Cam Newton when he really pounded the table for Cam, said Cam's our starter during that tough stretch of play for Cam last year. It was Cam's our starter, Cam's our starter. He kept on getting asked the question and he gave the same exact answer. He repeated that answer throughout a lot of the offseason and into the draft. And now all of a sudden we are seeing him go back to the middle. Now we are going to pull up our very first, I'm very excited about these, our training camp battle graphics. We have a bunch of these made. And one of them, of course, is between Mac Jones and Cam Newton. And I want to ask this question as I get to show off this fancy graphic that our our friend Amit made for us. Awesome. These are fantastic. And we got a bunch of these, like I said. So what we're going to do is throughout camp, we're going to put some of these up on on the screen. And then that meter that you see there uh, can move like an odometer in each direction. And and we can kind of say, okay, this guy's, you know, 
winning or this guy's ahead a little bit versus that guy right now it's smack dab right in the middle because we haven't started at any training camp but let me ask you this alex do you think at all that what belichick said this morning could mean that mac jones has at least shown him enough to move away from cams our quarterback just a little bit you know maybe it doesn't mean that that meter is going all the way towards mac or anything like that but now he they have seen enough out of mac jones to say well wait a second we at least have to call this somewhat of an open competition here. So for week one, no, I, I've said it the whole time. I think cam starting week one, regardless of what happens in camp pending injury, I do think things are trend. Like I wouldn't have that meter in the middle right now. I would have it leading slightly towards cam. I know we're kind of, you know, from where we started. Um, I, I do think that Mac is making a push where you're maybe looking at weeks five, six, seven, instead of nine, 10, 11 to make that change. So, and, and I think that's as close as he's going to get, but I do think it is starting to lean in that direction. Yeah. I think it at least suggests that the door is not completely shut. It's not cams our quarterback. So it's not completely shut on somebody else, probably Mac, you know, making that, that door open, right. Making the door ajar a little bit and at least making the coaching staff consider another Avenue for this team. And, and we've talked about it a whole lot just over the last couple of months since they drafted Mac Jones of what can Mac do to win the job and what can Cam do to win the job. And I at least think that we have to approach this and say, Hey, our, our camp battle graphic, which I think a lot of people might say, well, he said, Cam's our quarterback. Well, now we're, we're at least in a battle. I think it might yeah. be already leaning heavily towards Cam, but we're at least in some sort of a battle. All right. So the other things that were said, a lot of it that was said during the player availability, I would say was about COVID. A lot of the questions were about COVID protocols and wristbands and vaccinations and things like that. I might be a little bit biased because I asked him the question, but I, I did want to bring up something that we haven't necessarily talked about a whole lot since it happened and that was Matt Patricia being involved with the Patriots organization and I thought the answer that Devin McCourty gave to the question about Matt Patricia being involved he looked pretty stoked that Matt Patricia was back in the fold and that Matt Patricia was somebody that they could talk to that they could uh kind of confide in and, and get advice from and learn from. And he mentioned his experience as a head coach. And when you come back as Josh McDaniels did, he mentioned McDaniels doing the same thing, how it gives you a different perspective on, on sort of the team and on the approach. And it sounded to me like Matt Patricia, based off Devin McCourty's comments, based off what Bill Belichick has said in the past, he's going to have a heavy role in this. I, I don't think he's really going to be the one making any final decisions or anything like that, but he is going to be heavily involved and the team and in the organization this year. And how do we feel about that? Because I think there is some concern from the outside looking in from fans that maybe that's not the best way thing for the Patriots that Matt Patricia is now again, fully involved in the operation. Yeah. I, I again, I think it's, it's, it, it, you kind of touched on it strategically. How do they use them? That's what it's going to come down to. Is he coming up with gate defensive game plans, hands on like that, or, we speculated that he was potentially going to take some of Ernie Adams responsibility. I think that's probably the better role for him, especially working with, I always forget it's Evan Rothstein, right? Correct. I forget the second part of that with Evan Rothstein, uh, you know, working with him and they work together in Detroit. So yeah, I think that's the best role for him. I, I think he's more or less done on the sideline, you know, play to play sort of role. 
I like him better in that big picture role. I think that's exactly what he's going to be. I, I think he will be in the coach's booth. I don't think he'll be on the sideline, but he'll probably be in the coach's booth on game day because they did lose both Ernie Adams and Nick Casario as sort of that eye in the sky in from the coach's booth, right? And, and sort of helping them make those decisions and, and understand things from a bird's eye view and looking at the big picture of the game instead of micromanaging every single play call. So I, I think he's going to be in the coach's booth during games, but I don't think, like you said, that he is going to have the play sheet and is going to be making calls and being that heavily involved like he was in the past and sort of serve in this kind of like advisor role essentially and be sort of an extension of the head coach and and be able to look at things maybe from a little bit of a different perspective and break things down and he also has tons of experience as we all know in the Patriots defense he understands their calls he understands their system he understands what every is expected of all 11 guys on the field so I, I think that there's a lot to be said even though Maybe the Patricia era sort of ended on a sour note with the Eagles Super Bowl. And it also ended in a tough note in terms of things like, you know, their defense got better when he left, right? You know, Brian Flores took over and Gerard Mayo and, and Steve Belichick took over after that. And the defense got better, more aggressive, uh, certainly blitzed a lot more than when in the Matt Patricia era. So, I think to a lot of people from an eye test point of view and from a statistical point of view, the defense got a whole lot better without Patricia and they're worried about his involvement. But I, I think that he's going to be somebody that's really going to just be looking at it. Like you said, from a big picture bird's eye view and not necessarily in the weeds of every single game plan and every single decision that's being made. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right. I got nothing to add. You, you, you hit it. Let's talk about Devin Asiasi. So today, okay. uh, Jim McBride of the Globe reported that Devin Asiasi has tested positive uh, for COVID-19. So basically the way that the protocols work, because Devin Asiasi is vaccinated, as McBride uh, reported, they can receive two negative tests in a 24-hour span from Devin Asiasi and get him back on the field. If he was not vaccinated, then he would have to miss the mandatory 10 days of training camp. So there is a possibility that he could get out there quickly if he can produce those two negative tests. But for a guy that is obviously behind Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, I don't think his roster spot is in jeopardy either way. But as a second-year player who has a lot of competition at your position, missing right. training camp is any time of training camp, whether it's for an injury or something like this, is not ideal. Yeah, it, it's really not. And we've talked about how tight that, that position group is. And this is why when we talk about the vaccines, right, and players getting vaccinated – if he like uh, Gus Edwards tested positive too with the Ravens, he wasn't vaccinated. He has to miss 10 days. Right. Imagine if Devin Asiasi in this camp, the way this roster set up had to make 10 days, we'd probably be writing him off the roster at this point. So this is why when people say, why is it, you know, why is it such a big deal? Why are teams pushing for it? This is why it, the way the rules are set, it completely changes the way these situations are going to be handled on a case by case basis. So that was my big takeaway. Uh, we'll see if he's symptomatic or not. If not, he'll be back. He'll probably be back soon. He'll probably be back within three or four days. Should be back for the first day of pads. And as long as he's back by then, I don't think it's too much of an issue. I don't think it ends up making, you know, a massive, massive difference. Uh, but, you know, again, if he had missed those 10 days, completely changes the story. 
Right. I, I think it's really interesting spot because Devin Asiasi had a mini camp and look, this is mini camp and we're going to get into training camp. We're going to put the pads on and get into some real competition, but he's getting to all the right spots. He was winning against different types of coverages. He's winning up the seam a little bit. Uh, you were seeing him start to kind of put it together. And yet because the Patriots went out inside these two tight ends in free agency, there's really no reps for him. Once the games actually start and we get to in season practice mode, there's really no reps for him to develop or to get into game action. And and we've talked about this a little bit of, is there a role for him on game day? And could he maybe mix in a little bit with the two tight ends that are ahead of him on the depth chart? But for the most part, he is going to be the third guy and he's probably not going to be heavily involved in the offense this year yet we kind of have seen some flashes of him maybe being capable of playing a little bit more and maybe being a decent NFL tight end down the road, certainly a lot more than what we've seen out of Dalton Keene. Yeah. And it's, he had more promise, I think just in the spring, right? Keene wasn't there and he won't be there and he's on PUP. So maybe that levels the the playing field a little bit, but it sounds weird because it's, you know, two months apart, but these guys can carry over. You can carry a good performance from the spring over to camp and keep it rolling. And I thought Asiasi was in a position to do that. He still can, but this just makes it that much harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting spot for Devin Asiasi because you use a third round pick on him. Then they they sign these tight ends in free agency. And all of a sudden that role that is right there for you for the taking doesn't exist anymore. And, and right. you still have a, pre, a top 100 pick invested in the player. It's the way that they invested their assets there at tight end. Obviously they had to throw a lot the kitchen sink at the position because the position was so bad post Gronk, but the way that that position has set up, they have a lot of sort of, there's there's some sunken cost that's going to happen there right you know right. like you're gonna you're sort of gonna waste a third round pick whether it's Asiasi or keen both depending on the way hunter henry and johnny smith's career goes here you're sort of wasting a third round pick or two no matter what at that position after signing those guys so there is a little bit of sunken cost going on there at that tight end spot all right let's let's get into some of these other graphics so we we pulled up the cam and uh mac jones one we talked about that one a little bit i'm sure we'll continue to talk about this one a whole lot throughout training camp we also built a backup quarterback competition so this one is also really interesting and a very big one another player in jared stidham who is currently on the physically unable to perform list and will not at least tomorrow uh be out at practice you know he won't be out there on wednesday he might come back sooner rather than later we'll see but jared stidham can't win the backup quarterback or the third string quarterback job i should say from from the tub uh, as they say so where does do you stand with this competition because i think that this is a really fascinating one and i do think the patriots will end up carrying three quarterbacks especially with the uncertainty with covid oh absolutely i think i i would be very surprised if they don't carry three that being said like I said before, right? We're starting with the football in the middle. I was leaning Cam on the last one. This one truly is 50-50. That football, that meter is in the right spot. They both have intriguing traits, intriguing aspects to, to putting them on the roster. Stidham, obviously with the youth, he gives you another quarterback under the age of 26 on a rookie deal to work with. Obviously, Max, the primary guy, but doesn't hurt having young quarterbacks until you've totally ruled them out. I don't know where fully there was Stidham yet. Uh, but then with Brian Horry, you get the experience. You get potentially another coach for Mac Jones. You get a guy who's a scout team wizard. So they both offer, I, I think that th- there's a legitimate case to be made for both. 
If you were to argue to me, I think they should keep Hoyer. If you were to argue me, I think they should keep Stidham. I think they could both be fair arguments. This one's really going to have to be decided on the field. Maybe it leans slightly Hoyer right now just because Stidham's on PUP, but that would be the only thing that stops it from being 50-50. Right, so I think I think this is a tale of do you go with the upside player in Jared Stidham who has the potential to at least be a pretty good backup quarterback in the league and maybe sort of a back-end starter, right? He's obviously not looking like he's going to develop into a top 10 starter by any means, but maybe he can be a, a viable NFL quarterback, backup quarterback, friend starter type of guy that when you need him, he, he'll be at least a, a usable quarterback in, in an NFL game. And you go at that upside of maybe somebody that is geared a little bit more towards the starter side of things, has the age on his side, has the you know cheap contract still as a fourth round pick. Like you said, another quarterback that's under the age of 26 that's affordable and all these types of things. Do you go at that upside or do you go with a guy in Brian Hoyer who at this point in time is really a scout team and assistant quarterbacks coach, right? Like, like that's like essentially what we're looking at with Hoyer. If you have to play Hoyer in an NFL game, we saw what that was like last year against Kansas city. You're probably not going to win very many games. I'm not saying you might not necessarily win very many games with Jared Stidham either, but there's certainly more upside there with Jared Stidham, but you don't have necessarily the floor and the other responsibilities that Brian Hoyer can undertake like the scout team stuff like the film study and preparation and all the coaching type of aspects that he brings to the table as well so what i would say is because you mentioned brian hoyer's upside but I'll, I'll phrase this another way which quarterback adds more to mac jones upside which guy is the third quarterback helps make mac jones better in the long term that to me is it's Hoyer. I don't think there's a debate. It's Hoyer. And that's really all I care about right now is what helps Mac Jones develop in the long term. So I'm leaning Hoyer. But that being said, if Stidham has a good camp and shows that he maybe has some, like you said, lower level starter upside, that can change. But I think right now it has to be all about who makes Mac Jones better. Yeah. I do also wonder there has to be some conversation if Jared Stidham does have any sort of trade value whatsoever, sure. right? Because if you're talking about, okay, we can keep Brian Hoyer and get a fourth round pick back for Jared Stidham. So it's Hoyer in the fourth round pick versus Jared Stidham. That might make you lean a little bit more towards Stidham. Now a fourth round pick seems very rich for Jared Stidham, but maybe he does play well in the preseason and some team uh, Houston possibly really, really likes him and, and has some Patriots ties obviously, and has a, influx quarterback situation to say the least so maybe that is a landing spot that might be more attracted to a guy like Jared Stidham so you have to weigh that part of it too when you're kind of looking at the at the odometer you know that draft compensation or whatever you might be able to get in return for Jared Stidham could push it even further towards Brian Hoyer so that, that, that's another interesting part of this as well some of these other camp battle ones that we have are not necessarily about who's going to make the team sort of similar to the QB one argument, but more about who's going to get more playing time than the other guy. And camp is obviously the beginning of that. So this one I want to pull up, I think is really going to be a fascinating battle. And that is Jacoby Myers versus Kendrick Bourne, because the Patriots, as we know, are probably going to base mostly out of 12 personnel or two tight end sets with Hunter Henry and John Smith on the field together. And that 
mostly will mean I'm sure there will be times where maybe they will go three wide receiver, two tight end, and and go with John who maybe as sort of a backfield option. But for the most part, I think that that means that there's going to be two wide receivers on the field. And you got to think a guy like Nelson Aguilar is going to be on the field a ton to stretch the field and to bring that speed element. So in that Z receiver position, it kind of leads these two guys, Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne on kind of a collision course, not only for snaps, but also for targets and and sort of just uh, opportunity in the Patriots offense, if you will. So which one, where do you lean with this one? And, and sort of, we can discuss kind of the, the issue of both these guys are sort of similar in terms of where they want to play on the field and uh, where they run routes on the field. And it's kind of hard to get both of these guys in there at the same time, I would say when you have those two tight ends. Yeah, I, I'm probably leaning Myers slightly. If you look at the bottom there, I don't think I'm in the green yet. I'm probably in the yellow. Uh, but I'm leaning Myers just because he's the incumbent. And in this offense, that's absolutely worth something. So the fact that he's been here for two years, Bourne is new. It's nothing against Bourne. I just think that experience helps. That being said, I, and I wrote about this in my 90 questions this morning on 98.5thesportshub.com. If Bourne starts running, sorry, if Myers starts running away with this, look for Bourne to, like, I'm curious if they're going to try him on the outside at all. At all yeah. As sort of a, a stronger x instead of the faster x to complement nelson Aguilar, like that to me this battle may not last long if myers pulls away i think they'd be quick to say okay kendrick Bourne, can you play on like let's try hit him on the outside and see what happens there yeah and I, i've actually spoken to brad kelly about this who's a, a really smart wide receiver uh coach actually at the college level and, and he does a lot of wide receiver breakdowns and stuff like that and he had mentioned to me as well the possibility of Kendrick Bourne playing more on the outside because he kind of felt like Nelson Aguilar and his speed and what he brings to the table might be better suited for the Patriots Z receiver role as well, where he can move different places in the formation and they can also run him on some of those deep overs or crossing routes and things like that and not just have him run vertically up the field all the time. Now with the Raiders, he ran a lot more of that vertical route tree, but when he was in Philadelphia, he was a slot guy, right? Now Aguilar right. was, and he was playing inside and he was a running a lot of deep overs uh things up the seams stuff like that so he has that element of his game as well so if a guy like Bourne or even Myers can develop into some sort of outside threat and we can also discuss you know Hunter Henry going out there John Smith going out there potentially on the boundary some as well then that unlocks Aguilar to move around the formation and, and be a little bit more versatile and that would be good for the Patriots offense as well but I'm definitely fascinated to see this battle shake out because I think it's going to be really hard for three wide receivers to see a lot of targets in this offense with the two tight ends with James White coming out of the backfield with the amount that they're probably going to run the football. They're not going to have a ton of ball uh, passes attempts anyways, just relative to the rest of the league. So three wide receivers seeing, you know, 75 plus targets in this offense is probably a lofty expectation. So one of those two guys, unless Aguilar completely busts is, and I don't think he will, is going to get more targets than the other, considerably more targets in playing time than the other. And I think we're both in agreement that once you take Aguilar off the field, the 
speed element is completely gone from this offense, right? You you got a bunch of guys with the two tight ends probably running in the four sixes, you know, somewhere yeah. in that range. And you're truly one of you're already one of the slowest offenses in the league, even with Nelson Aguilar out there. You are truly the slowest offense in the NFL if he's not out there. Yeah, I, I just again I wonder if they've never prioritized speed. I wonder because if you go out there with Myers born in the tight ends you're playing some real bully ball offense. And I don't necessarily think that's something they'd be afraid of. It's certainly the lack of speed, certainly concerning, but I don't think it's a deal breaker for them. I don't think that will be their primary package unless it has to be, like you said, unless Aguilar just can't make it work. But I don't think they're opposed to using that package relatively often either. Man, I I, kind of hope the speed's a deal breaker because last year when, Demir Bird is fast, but he's not somebody that teams are game planning for or defensive coordinators are really thinking about. Aguilar, you hope, is a little bit more of that type of guy. And what was happening last year, as we know, was teams are putting 10, 11, sometimes 11 guys within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, right? And they were completely clamping down on that running game. Now you add in, okay, we're adding a couple guys into the box, and now we're taking away the middle of the field from the tight ends. And if there's nobody stretching the field vertically or horizontally past 20 yards, then that box becomes really, really, really condensed, both to run the football and to get those tight ends open. So as much as I think the tight ends are obviously going to bring more to the table than the rookies and Ryan Izzo did last year, I don't know. It's It does feel to me like they need somebody to, to take those safeties deep a little bit and really get the pressure off of the offensive line and get the pressure off of the running backs just a tad because last year certainly Demir Bird did not do that one bit even though he had his flashes and he had his moments uh, he was not somebody any off a defensive coordinator or opposing team was losing any sleepover or going out there to really defend yeah I, again i i'm not saying that stylistically it works i'm just saying in the past not having speed hasn't you know they have they're yeah. fine they're fine scheming guys open and using play action and, and pump fakes and things like that to to get guys open instead of just having burners so all right, let's move over to the defense side of the ball. We have one more offense one, but we'll save that one for last. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball real fast and talk about, again, another competition. We have one competition that I think is for a roster spot potentially. This competition is similarly to the Bourne and Myers discussion. Is mostly, I think, about playing time, although it could get interesting and Chase Winovich could find himself on the outside looking in via trade if Josh Uche considerably outplays him. I think the one element of this that is really fascinating is that Josh Uche has experience playing both on and off the line of scrimmage. Chase Winovich has been predominantly outside of that Baltimore game and edge edge guy or on the line of scrimmage guy. So to me, if Chase Winovich is going to keep himself uh, you know, a starter or somebody that's going to play a lot for this defense and keep himself in Foxborough and not on the trade block, then he is maybe going to have to develop into an on and off the line player. Well, let's not forget that that Baltimore game, you know, you kind of dismiss it. That was Winovich's best. That's probably his best game as a pro. And yeah. we talk about this potentially being a roster thing. I think part of the way Winovich gets on the team is, positional versatility and saying he can play defensive end outside linebacker, middle linebacker, that kind of thing. Um, based on what Uche did this spring, I have that football way to the left. Uh, I actually think there's a chance and I know why we have it like this. And it probably is right, right now. I think there's a chance that by the end of the camp, we have to change this graphic to Winovich versus Jennings 
uh, yeah. is the way that might go. But in terms of playing time, like that's what's going to come down to. Winovich has to prove he can play a bunch of different, like Uche can play all those positions. He can play out defensive end, outside linebacker, middle linebacker. Winovich has to prove he can play those three positions consistently. And if he does that, this is going to get really interesting and it becomes about playing time. Uh, if, if he if they don't put him in that spot and he's still just an edge rusher, then it becomes, in my mind, Winovich versus Jennings and it becomes about playing time. Right. Because we sorry have, about a roster spot. Right. Because we have Matt Judon and Kyle Van Noy. We're not even talking about the starters technically here. Right. right? We're, we're talking about the guys that are going to rotate in after that. And frankly, Uche brings a lot of the same pass rush prowess or or you know kind of explosiveness that Winovich brings right he can rush the passer and come off the line of scrimmage and be that guy to turn the corner and get after quarterbacks I don't know if we can say just as well as Winovich at this point because we haven't necessarily seen it in the NFL as much as we've seen Chase Winovich do it in the NFL but I think it's certainly trending in the direction that Uche is going to be as big as a leg off the the scrimmage or off the ball as Winovich is right and then he also brings the element of being able to play from inside linebacker positions and, and, and more traditional off the line spots so he in, in my mind Uche likes to compare himself a little bit to Dante Hightower he says that that's sort of the role that he envisioned himself playing in the NFL I also think he's got a little bit of Kyle Van Noy to his game he might not have as much sort of physical hit power as Dante Hightower does and, and sort of that physical nature, but he's a little bit more athlete and maybe that kind of goes a little bit more towards where Kyle Van Noy is in that type of player, either way, a good player. And if he can be that versatile guy, he can be a guy that maybe is a little bit sturdier on the edge. He can just do a whole lot more on the defense than Chase Winovich can. And he can do Winovich's best thing, which is rushing the passer if not equal, maybe a little lesser, but it's it's 75% of and maybe even equal or better if he develops into that kind of player. Well, that's why I'm saying if Winovich can prove to be more against the run, and we saw he struggled against the run setting the edge, but as a middle linebacker, if he can come downhill and start the run, stop the run, which he was doing against Baltimore, it reopens that conversation, doesn't it? And right. all of a sudden, the dynamic between him and Uche is very different. So that's, I mean, that to me is one of the first things I'm going to look for when the pads come on is where is Winovich playing? How does he look against the run? Yeah, I think that's a huge one. And he did bulk up this offseason. He's been in the Foxborough area. Did you see the picture? Working. Did you see the picture of him? The Patriots put out of him arriving to, to train does, camp. Does he look good? He looks like he just walked out of the woods for the first time since the season ended. It's That's great. great. You got to check it out. Yeah. He's embracing he, the New Hampshire lifestyle. Clearly. Does he, does he look good in shorts? You know, does he pass the eye test of the, uh, of the off season? You know trip? what? I couldn't get past his beard. I don't, I didn't even notice if he was wearing shorts or not. He probably was, it was like 90 degrees today, but yeah. Well, you know, we're all going to go out there tomorrow morning and everybody is going to get, you know, the body shamed, right? Like how does all these guys look? Do these guys look like they're in shape? Do they look like, right. does one guy look like he packed on muscle? Does one guy look bigger? Guy like Winovich has talked about Rob Ninkovich's influence on his game and how Ninkovich said to him, Hey, if you're going to stick here and you're going to continue to make this team, you're going to have to be sturdier on the edge and be able to set that edge of the defense against the run. And you're going to have to play your Winovich was playing around 240, 245. He's going to be have to be closer to 255, 260 to truly play that three, four outside linebacker spot that Bill Belichick 
wants him to play. So he's going to have to be bulkier, bigger, sturdier, whatever word you want to use. And that's something that he's been focused on this off season. So ho- hopefully he does pass that, that little eye test there tomorrow. All right, let's, uh, Wait, I, if you want to share the picture, I have the picture here. Oh, okay. All right. Here we go. I like this. Good. Look at that. There you go. Look at that. Embracing the New Hampshire lifestyle, as you mentioned. That That's definitely uh, New Hampshire through and through. I like the sweatshirt. Where did you get the sweatshirt from? I don't know. It's a good one, though. That is a good one. I, I wonder where you got that. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to this other edge rusher linebacker competition that we had jotted down here. And this one, you mentioned one of the players already, but uh, Anthony Jennings versus Ronnie Perkins. This one I think is really, they're probably, look, they're, they're, they're at least four deep at edge with the two guys that we just talked about and Judon and Kyle Van Noy. Maybe they can get room for both of these guys on the roster. Maybe a guy like Ronnie Perkins, who's in for a really steep learning curve here and is a rookie, has sort of a red shirt year, and, and they use Jennings, who has played in the kicking game some and, and has been able to be uh, available on special teams. But does Ronnie Perkins push Anthony Jennings off the roster? Do both of these guys have a roster spot? It is interesting to third round picks and back to back years. It's, it's certainly interesting. And it, this one, it's tough here where we're doing one versus one because this one ties into that last one we talked about. It, I, I, I do. We have, I forget if we have a graphic for this or not. Uh, the Raekwon McMillan, uh, Therese Hall. We, we didn't do that like, one, but that, that's that. All, yeah, that, that's one we can get into it once camp starts to heat up a little bit. Right. So it's, it, they're all going to tie in uh, with this one. I just think Perkins was drafted very raw. I think he's a project player. I think he's a guy that you're looking at a two to three year window uh, where he's going to start contributing on a regular basis. I give Jennings the edge here. I probably give Jennings a, a solid edge here. I'm not in that dark green on the meter if you look at the bottom, but I'm probably in that right between that first and sh- second shade of lime green. I'm probably right about there for Jennings on the right side. It's really interesting with Dan Fernie Jennings because last year was a tough rookie year for him, I think, when he was playing on defense. It looked like the game was moving a little bit faster than his brain was moving, you know, his processing, his ability to keep up at that level. The reason why I say that is not – I didn't necessarily think that he physically looked out of place, but I thought mentally he was a step or two slow, which caused him to look slow physically, right? And that's going to have to catch up for him in order for it all to come together and for it to click for him. So I think he's got the physical – Ability. I think he's got the play strength and the play speed to, to be able to hang at this level. But last year as a rookie, he was sort of swimming in it mentally. He struggled with it mentally. And that caused him to kind of play really slow and kind of look like he had quicksand you know, or cement feet, I should say. And, and, and that was a concern for a lot of people. But you're willing, it sounds like, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but you're willing that to give him the benefit of the doubt that he can turn it around in his second year, at least more so than Ronnie Perkins, I guess, can can sort of break in as a rookie and be able to play right away. Yeah, and I, I, I think, too, and maybe we'll talk about this with Perkins next year. If Jennings comes in and has a productive season, it wouldn't be the first time a guy comes in to New England, struggles year one, and then kind of figures it out and gets rolling, right? And Jennings played at Alabama. He's played at a high level. He's played for... A, a, a coach who uh, you know focuses on the details in Nick Saban. I'm not ruling Anthony Jennings out just yet because of one tough rookie season. I think he's. I, I, I'm not guaranteeing he's going to turn around, but if he turns around and becomes a contributing part of the defense, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. 
Yeah, it's a really cool defense to discuss because there are so many different combinations of players and so many possibilities of this guy could emerge, that guy yeah. could emerge. You know, we just talked about the linebackers today. There's all these sorts of competitions on all three levels of the defense. And I think in a lot of ways, and we're going to get back to that very last position battle that we wanted to discuss today. And I also want to circle back to the quarterbacks and answer a few of these questions that I've seen in the chat. But I think in a lot of ways, the challenge – for Bill Belichick last year, the challenge was we don't have the talent, right? We don't have the depth on the roster. We don't have the top end talent. We don't have the team to really compete at the highest of level this year. They have the talent and they have the depth, but now Bill Belichick has to go on his chessboard and figure out how to put all these pieces together. And you had three preseason games, basically six weeks until the start of the regular season. And you obviously can tweak and, and do different things in season as well, but you have a short kind of, condensed period of time here in training camp to kind of figure out what groupings work, how to mix and match. And also I think most of all, who are your 11 best guys, right? When, right. when it comes down to it, who are your 11 best guys? Obviously everybody's going to be uh, somewhat situational and there might be packages where some guys come off the field to get Uche and Winovich on the field to rush the passer and all that kind of stuff. But who are your best 11? I, I think is going to be difficult with this defense because a lot of guys can contribute. A lot of guys are talented and a lot of guys do different things. Well, right. So it's truly going to be a very, situational defense which means there could be a whole lot of kind of like hockey style line changes at times right where you just right. have different kind of packages well that's where it becomes a strength and the Patriots have done this at corner for the last few years and they can start doing it up front now where a huge advantage can be, you can go beyond the talent if you have the depth just rotating players and keeping everybody fresh while not having a dip in play can be as much of an advantage as having like, you know, a great edge rusher. If you can have three guys out there that are at 80, 90% during the game and they're going up against the tackle who's had to play every snap, that's an inherent advantage. It's going to make those guys that much better. I I've said it before that New York Giants NASCAR defense, as much as Patriots fans hate thinking about that, I love that model for the Patriots this year where you keep guys coming in and out. You keep moving guys to different positions. The offense never gets to see the same look twice up front. It keeps them on their toes. It makes it very hard to keep track of things, especially for younger quarterbacks. The Patriots have plenty of young quarterbacks in their division. There's a lot of potential here, not just with the talent on the roster. And the talent's great. Don't get me wrong. This, this defensive front completely reloaded. It, it, it looks fantastic. But what they can do with that talent, how they can mix and match those guys, how they can keep those guys fresh during games and prevent those guys from draining during games. That in itself takes it to another level. Yeah. I think in this linebacking core, maybe outside of Dante Hightower, and I, I guess you paid Judon all that money. So you're probably going to play him a whole lot. Like they're, they're going to be a lot of guys that are, are not playing, you know, Six, over 50, 60% of the snaps, right? I, I think there's going to be a lot of rotating. There's going to be a lot of keeping guys fresh, but also just situationally getting guys into the right positions and getting the best guys on the field for a third and eight right? If it's third and eight, maybe uh, somebody, one of the defensive linemen or two of the defensive linemen, guy like Lawrence guy is obviously probably not going to be out there on a third and eight, but maybe, uh, you know, Van Noy, if Winovich or Uche is having a, a really good pass rush a year and is productive in the pass rush, maybe they bring him out and, and put a more productive guy in, you know, things like that. It's going to be really fun. The 2019 defense was sort of like that, right? They definitely had some depth there, certainly at linebacker and had ability to mix and match, but I think 
think even more so this defense has depth that maybe even goes beyond that 2019 team, uh, which is which is saying a lot, I would say. Yeah, no, I, I and it's I think this team has more. I mean, I guess that team had had Jamie Collins, and I, there's so much experience on this team. I think that's the thing. They're going to have that mental edge, that mental element, where they, they'll have seen a lot of what they're going up against before. Things like that, uh, I, I think, add to add to it. Okay, so let's take some of these questions. If you have questions, we will uh, just drop them in the chat and we'll answer as many as we can over the next 15, 20 minutes or so to wrap up the hour here. So I want to start with this question because I think it's it's a good question, just sort of discussion to kind of ha- help people understand this. Uh, why is it that sitting Mac is the right thing to do? Because I think a lot of people believe this, right? That sitting right. the rookie quarterback – having him hold the clipboard, having him learn under the veteran and, you know, the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes model or whatever you want to call it is a good thing. On the other hand, I do think that there is an argument to be made that the Chiefs actually made the wrong decision by doing that in a way, because who the heck knows how good Patrick Mahomes would have been as a rookie, right? Like maybe they would have had an even better football team if Patrick Mahomes had played that year. So I think it works a little bit both ways, but why – sit Mac like what what's the argument to sit Mac other than the fact that maybe Cam is is still the better quarterback because you don't draft Mac Jones for the 2021 season you draft Mac and I'm a big proponent of sitting him it doesn't necessarily have to be the whole year I wouldn't start him week one you're not drafting Mac Jones for the 2021 season that's not how this works it's not fantasy football you're not building the roster for one year and then scrapping it you want Mac Jones to be a top-level NFL quarterback for the next 8 to 10 to 12 to 15 years. The plan this year should be to do whatever it takes to make that long-term projection look better. If You, you mentioned Mahomes, right? And you, you said, okay, well, what if he had been great that rookie year? What if he had sucked? What if he wasn't ready? What if there were things he picked up in practice that made him right. the guy he is? And then all of a sudden you've thrown a first round pick out the window. Look at Josh Rosen. And I know people are going to hear me say that and go, oh, Josh Rosen sucks. Why would you even bring him up? Well, part of the reason Josh Rosen sucks is the Cardinals put him behind one of the worst offensive lines in NFL history. He got the crap beat out of him. He tried to overcompensate for it. He developed bad tendencies and he's still trying to unlearn those tendencies. He wasn't bad because of the way he progressed up to that point. It was starting in that offense that wasn't right for him yet that made him a bad quarterback. If you do that with Mac Jones, if you rush Mac Jones just because you think, Cam Newton, like if that's the, that's the question to me, why should he start? Oh, because he's better than Cam Newton. I'll go, I'll go two and six over the first eight games this year if it means Mac Jones is a better quarterback for the next 10 years. If you won't trade half a season this year for the 10 to 15 year window, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. You're, you're not in the right state of mind. The whole goal needs to be what's best for Mac Jones. He should not start until he's ready because if he starts before he's ready, he is going to make mistakes. He's going to try to overcompensate for those mistakes. And that's how bad habits develop. You want him making those mistakes in practice. So the coaches are right there. They can fix them and he can work through them instead of throwing an interception on national television and coming out for the next drive and panicking. It's not to say Mac Jones is mentally soft. That's not to say he can't learn. This is true for anybody who does something new. Any job, they're going to train you before they put you out there. Is training camp enough time for Mac Jones to learn everything he needs to learn to be an NFL quarterback? I don't think it is. I I think most rational people would argue it's not. 
let him get all the information, all the practice he needs. So when he does finally start, he doesn't have to panic. He doesn't develop bad habits. He can just go out there and throw the football. Yeah, I think that was well said. I think the biggest thing when you look at it is I think that we all know that Mac Jones, his physical abilities, right? We all know what he brings to the table as a thrower, as a passer. The question really is two things. One, did it, is the team around him capable of competing with a rookie quarterback? And I, I think the answer is probably with this team, yes, especially with the offensive line that they have. But I think the second question really is what about him mentally, right? Is he mentally ready to read a defense, read his his keys, get the ball out to the right place, not turn the football over? Because what ends up happening on a lot of these young guys is it snowballs on them, right? Similar to the situation that you just mentioned with Josh Rosen is that Josh Rosen completely stunk. He, it's, it completely snowballed on him. He wasn't ready for it. He wasn't ready for the, the to be the starting quarterback in the NFL quite yet. And it's completely threw his entire career off the rails. You know, right. Rosen was what the tenth overall pick or eleventh overall. Yeah, pick he was something? the con- he was the consensus one one at at one point leading up to right. the draft. Right, Mac was never that high. But my point is, is that neither one of those guys is top five quarterbacks, right? And, and right. they're both, they're both in that 10 to 15 sort of range. So I, I think what you can say about that is that the talent gap between Mac Jones and Josh Rosen probably isn't all that much, if it, anything at all. And so much of it is mental, right? So much of it is it right. being able to handle the mental parts, the, the competitiveness, the mental toughness, but also just all the things that you have to do in, in the NFL. And you don't, like you said, you don't want, just to get Mac Jones out there sooner rather than later, you don't want to ruin his entire development as a quarterback. You know, if you want to go way back, a guy like David Carr, he really suffered because the Another Texans, one. The Texans yep. stunk around him, right? His offensive line got him killed in his rookie season, and that messed with him. The Patriots' offensive line isn't going to be that bad. But at the same time, you just don't want to throw him out there to the Wolves before he's ready because you don't want to – disrupt the entire development of his career you, you want to make sure that he is somebody that is going to be good for you for the next five to ten years and put him in there when he's ready i, I don't know so i i'll just i'll because some people made some good points in the comments and and i want to reply to them uh somebody points out you know the, the really great ones figured out along the way and that's true but along the way can happen in practice and you'll pick it up quicker and you'll refine yourself even more if you make those mistakes in practice instead of the games, I, I think that yes, the great ones figured out along the way, but practice is a good place to do that. And in people saying as somebody here, Rosen would be the idea of Rosen would be good. Now, if he'd been babied as a theory without evidence, Evan, who are the best three quarterbacks in football last year? Mahomes. Yep. Rogers. Yep. Tom Brady. Is that where yep. we're going with this? Yep. Those three guys started a combined one game in their rookie year. Patrick Mahomes started week 17. So, you know, you can talk about the rookies who started right away all you want. The three best quarterbacks in football last year started a combined one game as a rookie. There's the evidence. Right. It it goes both ways. I mean, there are some quarterbacks. I think Russell Wilson started his rookie year. There's some that are good. But I we just talked about the three best. Do you want Mac Jones to be good or do you want him to be the best? And I'm not saying he can get to that level, but my point is saying that it's unsubstantiated. The three best quarterbacks in the league last year, and you could argue who have been the three best quarterbacks in the league for what? The last three or four year span, basically right. since since Mahomes came in and Breeze dropped off, all sat for the entirety of their rookie years. 
There's your evidence. Right. It's a good point. I, I know the chat's going to bring up Ben Roethlisberger's 15-1 and rookie season. Uh, Russell Wilson was also a very good rookie quarterback. But I think on the whole, there's a lot of evidence that at least waiting until midseason or something yeah. like that, it really does help these young guys. All right. Uh, we did the defensive preview a few weeks ago, um, but we didn't – or maybe last week it was. I don't remember. Two weeks ago. We didn't uh, – we we were running long, so we, we kind of had to speed through the safety section of it. And I do want to bring up uh, Kyle, this uh, point about Kyle Duggar, uh, the legend, as he likes to call himself here, saying that Kyle Duggar is his uh, – breakout patriot to watch right and i i do wonder um you know there's a lot of kyle duggar hype i mean let me put you that way right there's a lot of hype out there right now for kyle duggar but i i'm i'm on board i think but i i I am curious to uh debate this a little bit about what he needs to do to kind of make that leap because right now everybody's under the assumption that this guy's going to be an absolute force in his second season So I think that there's two ways Kyle Duggar could leap, right? I think one is you put him in the box. He's a box safety. You kind of try to turn him into Jamal Adams, right? Right. And that's the prototype. And I don't know that he gets that far. I think he could. Um, And you just try to make him dominant in that sense. I think the other leap is, okay, he's established himself as a above average box safety, at least. I, I don't know if he's a top five box safety in the league. If you want to start talking about maybe pushing top 10, it's possible. Uh, but at this, do you then couple that with, all right, half the time we're going to play him in the box and half the time we're going to play him on the back end. And all of a sudden this guy's all over the formation and the defense has to find him before every snap. And he's doing all these different things and he becomes kind of a chess piece in that sense. I think there's an argument to go both ways. I kind of like option B because they have a ton of depth in the box. They don't have a ton of depth deep. I'd like to see it moved around the formation, but a dominant box safety can take you a long way. So we'll see. That's something to watch in camp is kind of which direction is his usage trending. But there's a number of different ways I think Kyle Duggar can take that next leap. So I, I've sort of had this take about Jamal Adams. I, I don't know if the people are ready for it, but we're 50 minutes into the show, so I'm just going to say it anyway. I think Jamal Adams is a little bit overrated. I think he's a really good football player, but I think he's a little bit overrated because in today's NFL, the f- most important thing, if you are a defensive back, in the National Football League in 2021 is you got to be able to cover, right? Like you got to be able to cover, whether it's playing as a zone defender in the back end, playing center field like your Devin McCourty or something like that, or playing man-to-man coverage across the board. You have to be able to cover in this league. And Jamal Adams, as we saw in week two of last year and at other times, has struggled to cover. And if I'm Kyle Duggar, yeah, you can be Jamal Adams. I think you could be a Jamal Adams type of player where he's a physical presence in the box. He's bringing it against the wrong and he's at least competitive against tight ends for, for the most part. That I think is a really nice role for Kyle Duggar. But if you want to take that next step and you want to be even better than a guy like Jamal Adams, who's drafted way ahead of Kyle Duggar, right? I mean, that, that that would be a really good return on your investment if you get a second round pick who's better or as good as Jamal Adams, but you have to improve in coverage. And I think that's really what the Patriots want to see out of Duggar, who was new to that role last year. So you kind of give him a pass there where you give him you know that pass because he had never really covered man to man, 
in college. He was a, is a deep safety, a free safety, covering a zone, is covering ground in the back end. He wasn't really that tight end stopper, right, that the Patriots right. sort of want or seem to want him to develop into. But I also, as I've been preaching all offseason, really hope that they allow him to roam a little bit more at the intermediate level, play a little bit more as a zone defender, and allow him to just read quarterbacks. So the guys he's been watching are Troy Palomalu and Rodney Harrison, and both of those guys are great sort of examples, I think, for Duggar because both of those guys had great, great instincts. Right. And just great right. feel for the game. And could just go out there and read QBs, read out route combinations, jump throwing lanes, get interceptions, get pass breakups. Uh, Palomalu, I mean, no, Rodney Harris is a really good player, too. But Palomalu was the king of just kind of coming out of nowhere and, and picking off passes. And he was a really, really good uh, both intermediate and deep zone defender. So I really hope that his career, Duggar's career, I should say, uh, trends way more towards that Rodney Harrison archetype than somebody that's necessarily like a uh, a, a uh, Jamal Adams. Because I'm just, like I said, I, I have my concern, my shortcomings with Adams. I'm not sure he's necessarily a... It's- He's a physical player. He's great against right. the run. He's a really good pass rusher for a safety. But... It, he gets torched when he plays in space a lot of the time. And when he plays in coverage against good receivers. Yeah. I didn't, I, I, I didn't mean to set you off there for sure. I just using like the prototype oh, I, of the player, but yeah, yeah no, I've been I, like, I, so again, that's just, I, I think that that's maybe the direction that you go. I think it's either, do you put him in the box and try to turn him into that kind of player, whether it's Jamal Adams or somebody else, or do you try to turn him into kind of a do it all weapon? And, Patriots history tells us it might be the second because they like that versatility. But I think as a full-time box guy, he can be one of the best players at that position in the league. It's just about where do you direct his focus? Yeah, I I agree with that. All right. Um, some questions about, you know, are the Patriots the top three defense, things like that. I, yes. I, I guess that's that all depends on how you measure it, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I think so. Well, assuming it, Gilmore comes back, yes, I would say so. So how do you like to measure it? Because I think it's points. interesting because points, points they're top 10 in points most years. I think last year they were even like 11th or 12th or something like that. I, I have to look it up, but believe it or not, they, they actually like tend to figure it out with points wise. Right. You know, they, they tend well, to keep don't teams, break. Right. They tend to keep teams out of end out of the end zone a lot. You're right. And, and sort they of, figure, se- by the way, they're seventh in points last year. Right. I mean, like that's not a defense well, that you imagine is seventh in points, you know, they, they like, were 27th offensively. So, right. Right. But se- if you watch that Patriots defense last year and you didn't look at the stats, you didn't know anything about the stats. Would you think that that was a top 10 scoring defense last year? Cause they were. Well, I don't know that. So, okay. So here's where the numbers maybe lie. I think part of the reason that they didn't allow a ton of points is they ran the ball a ton. Opponents ran the ball a ton on them. The clock was constantly moving. There wasn't necessarily time to score a ton of points. So that one might be misleading. That being said, I think it's asinine that we rank offense and defense by yards instead of points. The team with the most yards at the end of the day doesn't win the game. The team with the most points does. If you get the Chiefs to go on a you know, 10 minute drive that ends in a field goal. You gave up a ton of yards, a ton of yards, but you only came away with three points. That's good defense. That's good defense right there. I, I absolutely go by points. And I think that they can be in top five. They should be a top five points defense. We'll see if the top three is maybe a bit of a push, but they're going to be one of the better points defenses in the league. 
Right. It definitely depends on what the offense does, right? Because when you get short fields, because the offense is turning the ball over, they can't drive the ball down the field. It, it all right kind of plays hand in hand. Now, it definitely helps when you have Jake Bailey and Matthew Slater and Justin Bethel covering punts, because then you're able to go out there and flip the field a little bit. But for the most part, when the offense is going a three and out or they're only getting one first down and they're punting, you're losing field position and it's harder to keep teams out of scoring range and things like that. So I would say they're easily going to be top 10 because they were top 10 last year with that, you know, uh, roster that they put out there. So they're easily going to be top 10. If they were seventh last year, top five, I think is a pretty easy, um, you know, place to get to um, from that point on. Uh, any more questions? Let's see. Um, Did we have a couple more meters or were we saving some? Oh, you're right. I think I forgot the very last meter. So we can do that right now. So this is a really interesting one. I, I don't know if I would necessarily pit both of these players directly against each other all the time, but I think both of these guys are competing for a roster spot at the same position, right? I, I, I will be interested to see who will play where and that kind of stuff. But uh, Ernie Adams, guy, Trey Nixon versus uh, everybody's minicamp darling, Isaiah Zuber. Uh, it does feel like if Nikhil Harry is here, then maybe both of these guys could get on the roster if they carry six wide receivers. If you Nikhil, mean if Nikhil ha- Harry isn't is here. not here, excuse yeah, okay. me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. If he is here, it's going to be really, really tough for both these guys to make the team. So uh, this is a really interesting one. I think both of these guys are definitely on the bubble. As Bill Belichick would hate that term, but we're going to use it here. Oh, ab, ab, didn't he say something a couple years ago, like every player's? Oh, no, he didn't know what the bubble was. Yeah, he, he claimed he didn't know what the bubble was, yes. Um, yeah, no, this one's really interesting. And, I mean, we could – I wish there was a way we could do it, like, four ways. Because you could put Marvin Hall on here. You could probably even put Christian Wilkerson on here if we're throwing Nikhil Harry out as, as he's going to get traded. Uh, when it comes to this battle, and I do think this is the battle, the top battle for the fifth spot. I mentioned those two other names. I think that, you know, there are certainly factors. But am I still here? Yeah, you're still here. Oh, my thing, my thing just totally flashed. Okay, um, I I think that they're they're the two top ones. Those other guys are factors. It comes down to Trey Nixon is probably a more polished, traditional wide receiver, better route runner, better hands in, in, in contested catches, etc. But Zuber's going to give you some non-traditional elements. Those gadget plays, those motion plays. He's going to be able to line up all around the formation, and he gives you the kick return ability. I think Nixon's going to get a shot at kick returning, but Zuber has experience. So it comes down to do they really want another receiver or do they want a guy that they can kind of have fun with? And the, uh, you know, the elephant in the room with this one is Gunnar Oshevsky because right. if Gunnar, which way does Gunnar develop? Because I think Gunnar's kind of in a camp battle against himself. Can yeah. he develop as a wide receiver and legitimately be the fourth wide receiver in addition to his punt return duties? Also, can he develop as a kick returner? Cause he wasn't great at it last year, as good as he was punt returning. But if his kick returning is as good as his punt returning, doesn't really matter if he's as good of a wide receiver because it opens up a wide receiver spot because you don't have to carry the extra kick returner. So if Gunner's leaning more towards receiver, that probably helps a guy like Zuber. If Gunner's looks like it's going to be another year of him just being a returned guy, then you look at a guy like Trey Nixon, or maybe that's where Christian Wilkerson slips in as, well, we need a real fourth receiver because Gunner's not quite there yet. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I love Isaiah Zuber's skill set for a depth guy. Right. If you're going to be a fourth or a fifth receiver, the ability to stretch the field a little bit, contribute on special teams as a kick returner and on gadget plays on offense, on end arounds, jet sweeps, reverses, whatever. Having that sort of blend of skills 
is the absolute perfect back end of the depth chart type of player, right? Like you said, Trey Nixon, a lot more of like a traditional developmental wideout prospect, right? That could develop as an outside guy, had a really nice release package in college. I think he can separate vertically, but he's not going to bring those other elements that Zuber brings. And again, if you're a fourth or fifth receiver, you have to contribute in the kicking game. Like I, I'm not saying Nixon maybe can cover kicks. Maybe he surprises us with some return ability, but you absolutely have to cover uh, play in the kicking game to be especially the fifth or the sixth receiver on the roster. So right. I, I think that's a really good uh, kind of blend of skills for a guy like Isaiah Zuber, who uh, you have a role in mind for him. And, and I always bring up that Cordero Patterson role, right? Where you're using some of these gadget right. plays, you're used as a fourth guy or fourth receiver in certain packages. And then you're also used as a kick returner, the primary kick returner. All those things I think really would add up to a nice role for a guy like Zuber. I definitely think with Trey Nixon, especially if he starts to have a decent camp and they feel like, okay, well, we can't get him onto the practice squad because somebody's going to pick him up and we can't really get him onto our roster because we don't have a spot for him. He's going to get IR'd and, and it's going to be the, the typical Patriots red shirt of a rookie player. They like the guy. They want him to be on the team moving forward, but they don't have a specific spot for him this year. So we revisit it next year. Uh, that, that definitely just kind of feels like the, the Zuber or the uh, Nixon route to me is uh, maybe he kind of gets a mysterious injury some point two weeks into training camp and ends up on IR. Unless he starts showing up as a kick returner. Because if he does that, things get really interesting because then, okay, he, you know, the big advantage Zuber has now Nixon's right there. And, you know, if I'm him, I'm begging Belichick. I am begging the coaching staff. Let me return kicks. Let me return kicks. Cause I think, and Matthew Slater talked about it today, right? He's trying to encourage some of these younger guys to take bigger special teams roles. Cause that's their way onto the roster. I think for yeah. Trey Nixon, big time, that's, that's absolutely a possibility. Has to. And I it, the, the same would go for Zuber if he looks like a more polished receiver. If he's out there running crisp routes, making hands catches, that kind of thing, then yeah, I think you start leaning towards Nixon, Foxborough, Flew. The interesting thing with Zuber, you mentioned the Cordero Patterson role. The one I keep thinking about, and obviously this role never existed, but let's pretend for a second, and I don't want to excite you too much, Evan, but let's pretend for a second they drafted Amari Rogers. Oh my that's, gosh. That's kind of how I think you can use Isaiah Zuber is the role yeah. that you probably – and a lot of people probably had in mind for Amari Rogers. Yeah, if he can be that kind of ball carrier, and that's something I really think that this offense needs, is someone that can be schemed into touches and into space and with some speed. Now, Johnny Smith is going to be that guy for a lot of the time, right? But I, I definitely think that that is going to be something that uh, is going to have to happen. And I, we have a little bit of breaking news, and we're going to we have to wrap up, but really quickly. Uh, Patriots offensive tackle Trent Brown and linebacker Kyle Van Noy have been placed on the PUP list, according to Field Yates. So both those guys are starting training camp on the PUP list. Uh, That's definitely uh, interesting for both accounts because we saw both guys out there in minicamp, right? So uh, these injuries are always super weird how they they come up all sort of out of nowhere uh usually it's not a training injury if you're on pup usually it was a football injury so maybe some sort of lingering effect but uh just quickly what what does that do i I don't think it really changes a whole lot about the outlook for those guys i think they're going to be starters once they're back out there on the field but maybe this opens up the door for a guy like justin heron or yanni kajust or on the defense side of the ball jennings perkins you know whatever 
Right. Well, I think on the defensive side of the ball, we talked earlier in the show about how it's going to be so competitive for those edge roles. And now there's more snaps available for a guy like Chase Winovich or Anthony Jennings. And you look at it and you say, okay, who's going to make the most of this opportunity? There's more playing time available. Who's going to step up? On the offensive side of the ball, you mentioned Justin Heron, and I think that's the guy because Isaiah Wynn is two years left on his deal. We know that he sometimes struggles to stay healthy and can win lock himself in as that third tackle. Uh, that's going to be uh, kind of the, the the big one for me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of you – know, when guys go on the pup, that op- obviously opens opportunities for other guys to step up and, and get some – practice time get some reps out there but again I, I think it's safe to say that when Trent Brown and Kyle Van Noy are are good to go that their spots are are obviously right. safe and, and nothing will really uh, come of it in the end other than maybe the reps that the guys behind them get I saw one commenter mention that he's sick of seeing uh, media do uh, zoom calls and wants to see people uh, in person so good news for you I think his name is Matt uh, we uh, as in we me and Alex will be out at Patriots training camp practice on Wednesday morning in person availability all uh, across the board. So we'll be down at Gillette Stadium. We're going to do a podcast tomorrow night once uh, both Alex and I wrap up with our uh, work down there at Gillette Stadium, uh, breaking down Wednesday's action. It is sort of a mini camp type of practice, right? We're not in pads yet, so we're still talking about non-padded practice sessions, but at least we will get some football out on the field, and we're going to do as many podcasts as we possibly can squeeze into this training camp and talk to you guys, uh, hopefully – as often as we possibly can, maybe even daily uh, to uh, give you updates on what exactly is going down at Gillette stadium at uh, training camp for the Patriots. So we'll be back tomorrow afternoon. Oh, actually, hang on, hang on. There is a little more breaking news here. If we're done with the football, because it's not football, Uh, Jason Stark, baseball writer for the athletic has the Red Sox as one of eight teams that are in on Max Scherzer. Let's go. Let's go. Haim. Let's go. I love it. If they get Scherzer and Rizzo, because they were in on Rizzo earlier today, if they get Scherzer and Rizzo, they're the favorites in the American League. And I frankly don't think it's close. I I don't know about the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. Those are really good teams, and you'll have to go through probably one of them at the end of October. But if they get Scherzer and Rizzo, they should be the AL representative in the World Series. Well, uh, Alex has been pounding the table for Max Scherzer for a couple months now. And you know what's funny? I stopped like last week. Because I the starting pitchers were, were their own starting pitchers were performing better. I was like, you know what? You don't need to give up a ton. You're probably okay. But if they're gonna do it, I'm not against it. Well, I hope that that news breaks on the air in one of our podcasts so I can see Alex's reaction if the Red Sox do trade for Max Scherzer. But once again, we will do a podcast. Uh, We're we're not 100% sure about the time just because we have to figure out timing down at Gillette tomorrow. But tomorrow afternoon, late afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock, somewhere around there, we'll be back on the pod uh, right here same place Patriots press fast YouTube channel to break down everything that happened at day one of Patriots training camp. And let's go. This is it, Alex. We're, we're ready to go. I am excited. I'm very excited. I'm very excited as well. So until tomorrow night, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching everybody.